What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Leadership Lean In. Uh, this is a podcast that is dedicated to getting a little bit better at leading. And so we're leaning into the subject of leadership. And we believe that when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. And uh, that's one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite leaders, Craig Rochelle, the man, the myth, the legend. I want to just first thank everyone for subscribing, commenting, sharing the podcast. It means the world to myself and our team that put these together. Uh, we're excited. and We're going to go just right away. We have a very special guest with us today, all the way from the great state of Montana, one of my closest friends in the whole world, a man that is a tremendous world-class leader and communicator. Put your hands together and please welcome Levi Lusco is in the house today. Come on, let's have some fun together on Leadership Lean In. Here we go. How you doing? Bro, I'm doing so good. Thank you for doing this. Oh, I, I, it was a highlight of my day. How long can you stay on? I'm lonely. <laughs> I'll do this for hours. Don't, hey, don't make me go back to my family. They're downstairs. I can't. I'm joking. Mostly. Bro, I am here in the ministry center because I'm like, I just, I need to, I need to get some work done. I just need a minute. I've got to go. I've got to hear from the Lord. Easter is coming. You know, babe, I got to write this message. Wait, you said you finished it yesterday. Ah, you, left, you left your Bible at home. Good. Good Friday too though, babe. Right. I've got two this week. You, you need to be the parent right now. By the way, I'm having Julia preach next week, the week after Easter. Traditionally, what would be known as like youth pastor uh, Sunday. Campus pastor Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, one of, those, one of those campus pastor Sundays. Let's name all of them. Like Labor Day weekend. Spring, spring forward, number spring forward, one. 100%. Uh, Father's Day. Uh, like the, Fourth the, of July Sunday. Fourth of July Sunday. Okay, but now that we're all here, it's like, Hey, campus pastor, we still love you. It's just the game has changed. Yeah. So now it's like it's the spouse. I feel like it's, that's the move, right? Yeah, I'll do you one better. I got Jenny doing the entire month of July. I mean, uh, month of May. <laughs> she's got a book coming out. So I'm like, oh, well, yeah. we need to do a series around it. So I'm going to take the month of May off. And she, but it's going to backfire because then she's going to be like, I'm going to go study. I just know. I feel it right now. Right. But here's my thing is like, I, knowing you, you're going to go like write a book or like you, most guys like take the month off and go golf and hike and do whatever. You're going to like conquer the world in that month. You know, I think I am going to write. I, I, I've been trying to get my, you know how it is trying to get myself like psyched up for it. And I think I am going to take that month. Cause I do, when I, when I write, I do like, I'm sure like you do, writing days, writing goals, word count goals. And with Eyes of a Lion and Swipe Right, I did 2,000 words every session. So I only had to do 25 of those sessions. With I Declare War, my sessions were smaller, 1,000, but I had to do 50 of them. So if I give, give it a go, I could in that one month write a book. So we'll see. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, happy May to you guys in advance. And it looks like in the month of May – We'll see when, but things could get back to normal a little bit. I think, I think mid to late May, 
I, I saw the governor of New York say this this morning. It's not going to be like a light switch. Yeah, right. You know, we just turn it back on. It's going to be a slow, gradual. And I wonder what the future of social distancing look like for NFL, college football, NBA, church. Right? It's just what? Two things. Number one, I keep telling my team, like, I, I'm with you. I hope so. But I, I keep telling everybody, like, don't live like that. Don't live like, well, in May we're going to get back. We're, what if we may? It's like we have to almost go into a psychology of even if this was permanent, we'd be fine. That's it. And, and uh, like the, the church will go marching on. You know, our two, our two things are we, we preach the gospel and we make disciples. Okay, we can't baptize, so technically that part of it, we'll have to mail out water spray bottles or something. But or or maybe a drive-through. What about a drive-through baptism? You know, you march through. We, we have a hose. You know, spray you down. But, but other than that, we still can do what we do. You know, and so right. I just figured, we figure like I read this book on the psychology of being a prisoner of war, and those who said like we'll be home by Easter, we'll be home by Valentine's Day, we'll be home by Mother, oftentimes they died in the prisoner of war camp. But those who just said, hey, look. We're going to survive this no matter what. They can't kill us. They can't take our hope. They can't take our joy. Those people thrived and came home, you know? So I just feel like we must not put all our eggs in any basket except for just what Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell can't destroy it. So I love it. Well, I feel like if there's anybody that is innovative and creative that can uh, solve this problem and we'll just all take your lead, it's you. And uh, I love watching what you guys have done, your pivot. I feel like our superpower right now is flexibility and agility. What have you had to do to, to be flexible and be agile as an organization, as a leader in this, in this season? Yeah, man. Well, thank you. Um, I think for us, like, is realizing strengths that we developed without even realizing it. You know, I started doing captures with no one in the room 12 years ago. You know, we did it. Um, I was preaching to an empty room. To, to buy myself a weekend where I was had to be somewhere, you know, we, we, right after we planted the church, uh, I knew we had kind of momentum with the series and didn't want it to stop just because I was out, you know, taking an opportunity to go preach somewhere. So I was like, Hey, what if we went in the room and preached, you know, we called it robo church back then, you know, it was like a, like a joke, but that was, that was something we did forever. So wow. now realizing like, Hey, that's already a skill for us. We already have that. So we're kind of pivoting away from it. We, I haven't done any, any pre-records in this whole time. I've been, you know, able with a skeleton camera crew and safety and distancing and all that to, to lean hard into the live. So I haven't, while I'm preaching, I have a screen that has YouTube, Facebook, Church Online, and I'm actually calling people, hey, Carl in San Diego, hey, you know, Linda, and, you know, okay, give me emojis in the chat and kind of doing the opposite a little bit. And now I'm, I'm, I, I told my team that I was like, I don't want to ever preach without that because now I'm engaging those people live in a different way. And I really am, am loving it. You know, we, 47,000 people in live online last Sunday, you know, so just like that's way more than I would normally preach to, you know, being together. It's crazy. I saw uh, Greg Laurie had 1.3 million people in church on Sunday. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and, and, you know, I think exactly those, those kind of, I mean, obviously the president was in the, in one of those numbers and that's a huge thing. And, uh, it brought a lot of, I, I was talking to Pastor Greg's son, it brought a lot of like crazy anti and crazy for people. And I guess the comments were a real cesspool. So that, but, okay. but 11,000 registered decisions for Christ that day or something like that. 
Crazy. This is a, I mean, I'm going to be in the world, end of the world type, but Jesus, this is literally Matthew 24. In the end, there will be pestilences, famine, tornadoes. Yep. I mean, all these things. I mean, the fires, it's all what Jesus said would happen before he comes back. And, and yet the Bible also says in that time, the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. And I think like never before, we both have the, the crazy stuff going on and the gospel going out. So it's, it's all beautiful and hard and God's going to use it. God's going to use it. And, and if you can think of one thing that you've been trying to implement, I love that. I mean, think that, that just that, that in itself, to me, in our world, in my life, you're the, you're the master of the capture and who I'm trying to emulate so much while we're doing this here in L.A. And yet you're going live, like you're just a step ahead. Can you give a practical example of like for you in your house, like the, the, the first time we tried to do this, people, I just got to get this out of the way. We did this already, but your boy somehow messed up technology and it didn't get recorded. And I am just, I am repenting before God. The first time that we had attempted to do this was off the heels of us talking on live and you were up to like two in the morning with your kids and you guys were like going through all these to-do lists on your mirror and how, it, that's not normal. Like you've, you've been flexible as a parent, you've been flexible as a pastor, as a leader, as a communicator. What's another way, a practical example, you go, this really brought life to me in this time. And if I didn't pivot, because I, I think the biggest thing that we could do is pivot out of, I saw a great leader, John Gordon said this, he said, people are in three phases. They're in a fear phase, a learning phase or a growing phase. Mm -hmm. And so you, you are example, you're like, I'm not being paralyzed by this. I'm getting aggressive in this and mm -hmm. I'm going to learn right now and I'm going to grow out of this. So what, what, what's another thing you go, this comes to mind, this brought life to me in this season. We were too gracious for one thing, and I'm glad that you weren't with me when I yelled at a stranger last week who took up two parking spaces at a restaurant. You know, so I have I had dark moments too. True story. We pull up for a call-in order, and there's four spaces designated, and space one, space three, uh, space one, space four, and space five are taken. Two and three has a car diagonally across two. And I pull up with my daughter, and I roll down the window. She goes, Dad, don't. Just let them go. I'm like, no, they need to know. This is not okay. So I just roll down the window and as polite as I can, I'm like, hey, is there a reason you're taking two spaces? Is there and a my daughter's mortified. She's so embarrassed. I realized like afterwards the girl was like, I'm sorry. And it was just like one of those moments where I was like, why did I do that? You know, like, so I, I just needed to bring out <laughs> the most recent failure. I know she goes, good thing she didn't say, hey, Pastor Levi, you know, it would have been a real priceless moment. But um, the, uh, the, the, the success that I have found in, in this time that the God that I think you're referring to for me personally was realizing like, Hey, this is an unintended gift. I would be on a tour bus right, right now on a, on a, on an event tonight with our, our worship team and doing events. And, you know, like you and many others, you know, I, I can't even imagine. It's hard to complain when you think about small businesses that are shut down totally, but you know, we've had like 40 events canceled or something like that. Like, it's just crazy to think about how different it is. Income opportunity, you know, book messaging, all that stuff. But I was like, okay, well, it's an unintended gift. I'm never home this many days in a row. So we set out with a Sharpie and made a grid and a matrix of like, what, what do we want to do every day? Meet with Jesus, take a walk, uh, read, 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 read for pleasure, read for business. Um, 
create something, you know, all those, all those things work out dry sauna for me. I, I do a sauna every day. Thank God a while back I put a sauna at the house. Cause that's my biggest source of creativity and, and, and peace is being on a walk and being in the sauna. And so just like checking those boxes up and I, what I realized was like, Oh my gosh, this is a sickness a little bit. It's, I mean a good sickness. Cause for me, productivity is like heroin, like that feeling productive makes me feel very much alive. I love that. I, I, I've stolen that line from you. Productivity is my heroin. And I feel like in a time like this, really it's going to, at the end of this, we're going to come out and it's going to be exposed what you did with it. One of, one of the things I think that happens in quarantine and crisis is that crisis reveals the leader that you are. It doesn't shape you as a leader. It's not building us. It's just revealing us. Oh, good. Have you thought about, wow, this is in me and in my leadership? Because a line I always think about is like, what's revealed has to get healed, right? So there's things that come to the surface because it's having us face things that we don't want to face or we don't have to face. You're traveling, you're meeting, you're speaking, you're doing this, you're doing that. There's a lot of things in the undercurrent that are not being addressed. Can you think of something that's being revealed right now that you're going like, I'm actually giving my time and my attention to some things in my leadership that I, I don't like that are there right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think on the positive side, like we said, this is the chance to develop and to do some things because this, like you said, will end and we will come out. The question is, do we come out better than we went in? You know, though I think to some extent we have to realize like, and what I'm trying to do is say, okay, when this ends, the world we return to is not the world that we were in before we went into this. The landscape has so drastically changed any more than people came out of World War II and it was like back to normal. It's like, no, no, it was back to different. You know, Vietnam ended. It was different. I mean, look at Forrest Gump. He was so confused when he came home, like how different the world had become in his absence. And I think that that is for any of us who think that we're going to end and we're just going to go back to our normal things and schedules and conferences and this, like it is, it is not going to be the same. And so what I think we, we have to do is we have to change too. Because if we try and go back to a, post, a post-coronavirus coronavirus world with our pre-coronavirus selves, we will be confused and frustrated. But if we can evolve, adapt, and utilize this, like I, I'm actually, I feel like as far as our team's concerned, the Zoom stuff, I was joking with our team yesterday, I was like, we may never meet in person again. It's, this, this is more effective, it's more efficient. I think a lot of the workforce has realized, oh, I can work from home and it's gonna wanna continue to to some extent. Right. I think a lot of Christians are gonna go, Hey, I like church online. And then we're in a, we're in a bind as pastors because we've gotten them used to now fresh kids programming online. And if we pull that away, the parents will stay at home watching church online for a lot of them. They, if we don't offer something for the kids long-term, we could blink and lose a generation, which is scary. You end up in Europe like that. So there's some big questions that maybe don't have answers, but we need to wrestle them down. I love that. You, you saying that we could lose a generation so quickly is, is such a, it's a daunting task to think about. It really is for me because I think about the generation that's coming up and how will they know the Lord? Well, you, th- this has been to me one of the biggest challenges, not just reaching our church, but the kids ministry aspect and in particular the youth. How do mm-hmm. we engage them and who's engaging them well? That's the question. I mean, Justin Bieber put it well when he said, what about the children? You know, I think, uh, if we're not asking that question, we are foolish because uh, just like there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And after the, the children of Israel walked with God all the days of Joshua, 
but then the, the era of the judges came, you know, and here, here we are in, in the day of TikTok, that's not going away. In this, in this cultural climate, in this moment, we can fight against it or we can say, we're going to fight for this generation. And I think that has, and we, I was on a FaceTime call with our, our, our directors yesterday and he said, there's nothing more important right now than fresh life students and fresh life kids. I love there's that. nothing more important. So figuring out what the Zoom meetups look like, if we can't do summer camp, what is it? I got saved at summer camp. So, yeah. you know, what is the equivalent? You know, what, how do we, how do we fight for them? How do we gather them? I think we've got the small group gatherings. What we're asking right now is how do we do large format youth now? Because they already have small groups in their Zooms and that's great. But, but what is, what is a larger gathering look like in a, in a, in a coronavirus world? Because I always feel like for youth, they need that large gathering. They need that moment. They need that moment where they're, they're around a couple hundred teenagers, you know, thousand teenagers, and they're all worshiping. And there's something that happens in that, that the Zoom can't do. You know, there's that positive peer pressure that takes place in that moment. I agree that we, we've got to figure that out. Is there anybody that jumps out to you right away? You go, this person is reaching young people in a way that I'm really appreciative of. This person leverages their voice in a way that I go, Thank God, you know, my daughter is looking to this person in a TikTok world. I always think, like, who's relevant? What, who's doing it in a way that's like, yes, we are going to try and promote and elevate this person because they're really helping us. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I mentioned him a moment ago, but I think what Justin's doing, you know, with his platform, uh, I think um, I think Elevation Church really does a tremendous job with their Maybe. youth stuff. You know, watching, uh, watching, watching those contents. I mean, I think I think you are an influencer that young people are looking to. I think my kids come to life when they hear peanut butter and jelly on their phones in a way that they don't ever respond to me. I'm not going to lie. So I mean, I'm not jealous. I'm just glad to know you. And, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I th- I think this this I think this is the time when those voices are going to rise. And I honestly, I'm, my prayer is that certain voices will get louder than quiet before. And that this will be a time when people are are illuminated who who are going to reach my kids, and that's that's the thing I look at sometimes. I watch him sleep, and I think, who's going to reach my son? You know, what what is who can I reach that will reach my son? That's it. Well, my concern, you know, we we're just talking about this song yesterday. It was a song that we're working on, and um, and they sent me the second uh, rendition, second draft, and it was way more church than the first. And I go, no, 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 no. Go back to the one that sounded like TikTok. Yeah, right. Go back to the one that has sauce. Go Because I'm not trying to just make some, we got enough worship music out there. With the, with the gap is, is, is so big to, to what's relevant mainstream and what kids are listening to and go like, whoa, that's church? Mm. Whoa, that, that's the gospel in that, on that beat? So I'm thankful for anybody. We're just taking a moment talking about the... One generation shall declare his works. Well, what does that look like? What does declaring look like? That's, not, that's all good and dandy within the text, but like practically walk that out. What does that look like to reach the next generation? And um, I'm passionate about it. I know when you work with young people for a long time and you have kids such as yourself, you start to care and go like, man, what, do we, what can we do in this world to get kids exposed to the gospel, but also further than that, disciple them? Well, because, yeah, I mean, you and I were both youth pastors, and I think, you know, like in Narnia, once a, once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor, right? I mean, you don't lose that. And so I think uh, it, it's what, what worked for me. It was, it, was, it was investment. It was empowerment. 
So we, it, it, whatever that looks like with whatever tools we do have, you know, we can't live in what's been taken away from us. We have to live in what we still have. So right. how do we invest and how do we empower? And I think giving ownership away and multiple multiplication of leaders that has to happen. And if we're, if we're not focusing on that, then we're just flat out missing it. I love that. When you communicate um, on a weekend, are you ever, who are you thinking about as you communicate? Like I read a book years ago from Bill Hybels and he said when he would prepare in his office, he would sit with uh, a group of six or seven people he had collected, like a plumber, he w- uh, one was a teacher. He had a whole cast of six or seven people um, who, who do you think about as you write and while you're talking, are you ever thinking about certain individuals or walks of life? Yeah, that, gosh, that's great. I wish I was as organized to have a plumber in my cast. Um, honestly, Chad, when I'm preparing, I usually am trying to find something that blesses me and encourages me. And I figure if I'm passionate about it and it blesses and it's genuine, like this, this last Sunday, I was, doing a talk on Doubting Thomas, uh, and it hit me so hard that Doubting Thomas, who we, we call him Doubting Thomas, even though all the disciples doubted, he was just the only one honest about it, right? So um, that he died in India, I was reading Fox's Book of Martyrs with a spear, a spear, he got speared to death. And it hit me while I was preaching that he wanted to put his hand in the spear wound in Jesus' side. And this that connection of, he, he said, my Lord and my God, when he saw the wounds and he saw Jesus, the spear wound was enough seeing it, that he would go on and have the courage to die and to, to famously be willing to preach the gospel till his last breath. And it just hit me. And I, I mean, I, I started crying, which I don't often do, you know, uh, while preaching. But it's just, I feel like when people see something has genuinely touched you, it, it touches them too. And so as opposed to trying to like, what would convict someone or this person? I mean, I do try and bring through how to single, how to single mother hear this or right now I'm thinking, you know, what is, what is, does it sound glib or trite to say some platitude to someone who's, you know, literally just lost their husband in, in, to coronavirus or whatever. So I am trying to think through those levels, but my great goal would be for God to show me something that blows me away and then share that with, with as many people as possible. Right. I love that. Yeah. It just reminds me of like only a mind can touch a mind, but a heart can touch a heart. So much of ministry is, is, is spirit to spirit as well. Like it, 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 when Jesus says these words are spirit and life. So if I, I, as you're saying it, a couple of thoughts come to mind about leadership and communication. Number one, the, it's always the teacher that's changed the most, right? More than the student could ever be changed. The teacher has changed the most. If it doesn't touch me, it won't touch you. Yeah, right. The other thing I would love to hear you, you answer this. One of my favorite lines from Bishop Jakes on communication is he says, uh, study yourself approved, think yourself clear, pray yourself hot, and then preach yourself empty. Those would be kind of his four study, get in the word, think. I always think the work of preaching is thinking. Yep. Right? Getting that thing clear, pray yourself hot. That's that spirit to spirit get your spirit revved up, so to speak, and then empty it out, you know, let it all out. Um, Of those four, what do you enjoy the most and what what do you lean towards the most? Wow, that's great. Of that process. When I first started teaching to now, I think the biggest change would be um, 
I guess it would be thinking, the thinking clear, or I mean, within that, some some part of the hot, uh, the spirit being hot, because I think before it would have been just here's here's this, here's the framework, here's here's the idea, and I think now, because um, I grew up, you know, for those listening, and I think for there's application for this for anybody listening, regardless of what your industry is, you know, whether whether you're in retail or you're in fashion or you know anything you're in, because you you learn one way. And I think the way you learn, if you're not careful, can be the way you continue to do it and, and to not innovate. And so for in right. my world, you know, the expository Bible study, the, right. you know, there was there was not a lot of uh, pathos. There wasn't a lot of uh, the fire aspect. It was more truth and idea and logic, right. you know. So I grew up with that framework. But then as I began to be more exposed to a more charismatic, more spirit filled more, uh, you know, Holy Spirit's not just their name, but also in function and, and realizing like that insights there and looking for connections. And I, I, I as, as that happened, my, my teaching began to open up to where this week I, I changed my sermon in the shower on Sunday morning, having written it on Thursday and already screen support was done. But like I, the final aha insight came right before. So just like completely open to that where I never would have done that, you know, in a previous iteration of myself. And so I've allowed myself to continue to evolve. And so I'm not sure which of Bishop's four categories that falls into a more, but I guess I'm just more open now than I was before to last minute changes to in the moment, going with it, trusting the Holy spirit in me. And, uh, and that, that I feel like that, that's caused me to be more engaged, more interested. I'm not just reading old sermon notes and continuing to preach those messages, you know? Right. Yeah, it, it, um, I think you can vacillate between in seasons, right? Sometimes it feels like, man, I'm really dependent on praying this thing hot into me. And it feels like, I think it, it, it goes back to maybe songwriters feel the same way. Some songs are written to just write themselves. Some messages like, wow, just came together like in a, in a, in a thought. Other times it's like, man, I am laboring over yes. this message. For sure. And, Sometimes Saturday's joy is like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't like this one. Like, what do you mean you don't like this? You wrote it. Yeah. And I'm still writing, you know. But I think the diligence of one of my favorite communicators was a guy from Beaverton, Oregon. His name was Ron Mel, pastor of the great church, a four-square church in the denomination I grew up in. And he always said, great messages leave room for the cutting board, that there's, there's stuff you got to cut out. Like, in other words, you should buy so much ingredients that it's like, oh, we can't fit all this in this week. Wow. That's how I know I feel good. I once asked someone how they, uh, who didn't use notes, I said, how do, you, what do you, how do you preach with no notes? And he said, it's easy. Have more to say than you intend to say. There you go. And you know, I was like, that's actually, that actually makes sense. You know, if you, if you, if you studied and have so much on the pantry, you know, from the pantry on the cutting board, like you're saying, and you get up there and, you don't have to worry about, I need to say this, 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 this. It's like, I'll just say, say whatever comes to mind. And as, as it, you know, kind of comes out, I, I, I'm not worried about, I'll, oh, I forgot that thing. It's like, no, I'm going to for sure forget something, but I'm going to get in what needs to get in, you know? I love that. When I think about your leadership and again, this whole podcast dedicated, you know, to leaning into the subject of leadership, I think of your communication, your diligence to work on that craft, your diligence to study and prepare. And we were using bishops kind of, four things, his template. I feel like you're very diligent in that. Another thing I appreciate about you is you have an ability to be around greatness and not be intimidated. Like something I've always admired about you is like, I remember a few years ago, like 
you were like, maybe you guys were working out before one of Furtick's uh, album recording. Like you flew out for that just to go support. You um, really reach out and befriend guys like Craig Rochelle, close to Greg Laurie. Like no one at the upper level intimidates you. Like you're drawn to greatness, you attract greatness. And the, the, these are people like, I don't know, where does that come from? Your ability to go like, they're great, I'm gonna be their friend. They're great, I'm gonna be in their world. They're great, I'm not intimidated to get around them. That's great, well, goodness gracious. Well, you better include yourself in that list because that's the reason I love being around you. You challenge me, you know, I wanna be, you know, I watch how you lead, I watch how you lead in your home, I watch your personal sense of style, which I think is a great, it, it's incredible. Um, what I'm really trying to say is I love you. Uh, but uh, Andy Stanley said, if you're insecure, you will only want to be surrounded by people who are lower in quotient as a leader than you. It's in the book, Next Generation Leader. And I love it. And I, I, I remember reading that going, oh my gosh. So if you're an insecure six, you'll only want fours and fives around you. But if you're a secure seven, you want tens. And, and because you don't want to surround yourself with people who are, who, are, who are less great than you. You want people who are better than you at things because you, you're, you're, you're not worried about you know, being exposed. And I think to, to me, I think we should all hope to be, whether we can have personal relationships with them or not. Because I, I mean, I'm, I, I was being led by Craig Rochelle when he did not know my name. I listened to everything he said, watched every tweet. And never was going to shoehorn my way into his life. God opened the door, and I believe God opens doors that no one can shut, and shuts doors that no one can open. And I think there's a great, you know, you and I both love Carnegie's book on influencing people. And I think, you know, we should all not be networkers and not be schmarmy and not be trying to like put ourselves out there because people can read through that. And so, you know, God, God through His own series of events opened the door. But I was committed to leading, learning from Pastor Craig. I flew to Seattle and went to a one day he did and stood in his book line and met him and thanked him. And it was, that was that. And then down the road, I was like, we actually met before. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I was learning from you before you ever were returning my phone calls. But, but I think we should all aspire to find the people at the top of their game and whatever we're doing and, and, and put ourselves under them however we can. And I, I think there's a real tension there because you don't want to be the networker. You don't want to be the guy that, you know, bombards green rooms or, you know, whatever it is in your field. Uh, but, but is a patience versus a, I know I'm called because you, you had confidence in yourself. You knew who you were. You knew the trajectory of your life. Obviously I think so much of leadership is betting on yourself, believing in yourself. I mean, you're someone that was doing such great things in Orange County and knew you're supposed to go to Montana roll the dice because you ultimately bet on yourself. And when I think when you believe in yourself, there's a tension there. There's like, you know, like I, I, I just think in leadership, I am past questioning people's motives. You're right. I, I, I don't have time for it. I don't have time to, 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 to go like, you're trying to do this to get there. Like you'll stand before God. I think great leaders have a tension within them of going like, I know there's something big on my life. And I'm called to do this. So do I pursue this relationship or do I wait for God to open the door? I think so much. I want to encourage everybody that's listening because it's like, is it one or the other? It's and both. And you'll know. You're right. You, it's good that you brought this up. I mean, I think this is a conversation that, that we need to wrestle through. Um, I was talking to Janie this morning because someone had, had texted me. I give my number to him and, and they texted, can we do this conversation? I said, yeah, absolutely. Talk to, I gave him the names of the person who could make that happen. And then they, the next day wrote me again. And I said, Hey, I already kind of handed it off. And, 
and then and then and, and it was just a little thing like time zone you know i don't want to get a text at 5 a.m and i i just think the art and the skill of learning to work work people like i can't i i know you, you know for the second reference of the day learning how to the skill of interacting with people i think that's a missing thing and so it, the tension is you have to believe in yourself you have to put yourself out there but also doing it in a way where you're reading like how is this broadcasting to other people and i, I think for i i think that that's that's a that's a good uh it's a good struggle i always think one of my favorite guys to listen to is a guy named colin coward he hosts the herd he's a sports guy but he talks about this all the time because it's such a parallel in the sports world to our world, to any leadership uh, realm, and that there's an inner scoreboard and an outer scoreboard. The outer scoreboard says money, followers, fame. And if you're driven by that, you're going to lose. We, are, we have to be led from a – Rich used this language during the, during the crisis. I thought it was so great. He, I think he stole it from John Mark McMillan. Is that how you say his name? Uh, the musician or John Mark Comer? John, maybe John Mark Comer, sorry. Uh, a non-anxious presence. Yeah, right. And I think the reason why there's a grace for you to be with giants, greatness, is there's a non-anxious presence. A non-anxious presence for me as a leader is someone like, I know who I am, I know what I offer, and I don't need to prove that to anybody. I don't yeah, need right. to overextend myself. It's, 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 and it's also, I think, a question of, adding value versus wanting to take something, you know, what are you trying to build? You know, and I think uh, people can read through that where in your heart, you're wanting to build people, add value, or you're wanting to build kingdom and, and build platform, you know? And I think just the the desire, like my goal is to bless people. And if I get sent books, post about them and, you know, do all that. But then the ickiness of like getting a follow-up text, Hey, you didn't post about my book. I sent it to you. You know, it's like, that, that sort of thing, I think it's just, I'll give it to you, I'll post about it, but it's just like, you're asking, you're asking for very clearly not to build people, but to build platform. That's and it. I think if you seek to build people, God will take care of the platform. You know, but if you're trying to build a name for yourself, that's not going to last. And it's, even if you get what you want, it's going to turn to ash inside your mouth. And I think in any industry, in any, in any, in anything, and especially right now, I mean, to watch people right now pivot and give and be generous. And, you know, I, you, you connected me to John Peel and just watching him. Like, I can't have clients right now. I'm going to give my content away. Watch me work out. Here's, let me help you. And I'll tell you what, down the road, John Peel offers a pay by you go thing. And to me, a person like that is someone who I want to, I want to give money to because he's trying to add value, not build up his kingdom. And I think that's one of the things that, is going to be post coronavirus in anything it's 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 are you adding value or are you trying to build something you know i that's, I that's, that. that's what i'm asking i love that um j- just to follow up on this whole greatness thing because i do love that that's something you're so good i admire that about you what is a common denominator you see in greatness when you're around all these people you go the common thread i could tell personalities are so different wiring communication style lifestyle is different this is the common thread when i'm around great leaders i get a sense that they all have what i would say a quote comes to mind that someone said nothing great has ever been done by half of someone's heart and when i think about you 
and I think about sports, business, any, anything, it is, it is someone whose soul is set on fire. Passion, lightning, let me see that you care. Let me see your eyes shine. When you talk about your clothing, your music. I, I got a text from Pastor Stephen a minute ago about a song he just wrote. And he literally, I mean, it's like, if I, if I read it to you, it is like, it, it is like the song that he wrote. I mean, for him right now, personally, I read it and go, this is just it. <laughs> it is a bloodthirsty, savage killer. He's talking about a worship song, but he cares about it. That's why the blessing pours out of him and Carrie and Cody. That's why, you know, LeBron or Kobe, these people are, they're on fire. It's a bloodthirsty, savage killer. You can't, you know, when you talk about your new company, you're like, eh, it's going to be this. You're, it's not going to make it. But if there's that passion, it doesn't matter, coronavirus, not, this, you're going you're gonna to succeed and find a way. And I think that is, to me, the mark of true greatness. That tempered with the integrity factor. And I think a couple, there you go. Because there, I was just going to go right to the Bible. One of the, you know, our hallmark great leaders, David, when you lose that, and it, it, this is just a text that we, we love. If you're joining us and you don't believe what we believe, this is a fast, fascinating text. It says in the Old Testament, a leader named David, who was a warrior, was the man, was on fire, was the guy. It says in the springtime when kings go off to war, David was like, I'm good. I accomplished yeah. it. I did. They, I was in the parade. I've got the followers. I've got the bag. I've got the money. I'm good. You lose that fire. One of the things I appreciate about Bill Gates right now is he still has that look. It's about a different category. It's not, it's not computers anymore, but he's burning. Oh, it's, it's inventing a toilet that's going to be revolutionizing sanitation. It's, it's a vaccination. It's him going to his little cabin in, in Washington with a tote bag full of books and, and 97 Diet Cokes. That guy could be lying on a chase lounge in an infinity pool for the rest of eternity. Not doing and yet he, he's got the savage eye of the tiger. And I think that that's what some people don't have switched on. And I think that sitting around playing video games and, and, and making TikToks, I don't want to shift into that mode, but I think you can resort to a little bit of a deadening and the, impact, the new substances, you know, drugs, all, they just neutralize, they lower the quotient and pornography yeah. is the same way. And I think to keep that fire inside of you, there has to be a hunger uh, matched with the, you know, hopefully the, the, what we would describe as like that, um, the character piece, you know, the, right. the piece of like, I'm going to be ethical. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt people. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Play within the lines. I love that. And that leads me to my next question because I want to talk about, take, let, let's take that, that all that sounds great. Fire in your eye, passion, all of that, you know, every leader wants that. But the reality is that over time, your passion drifts, your vision leaks, but you keep disciplines in your life. You're a very regimented person with a lot of disciplines, daily disciplines that I look at as a positive because they keep you in a place to fan that fire. Those disciplines aren't there just so you feel good about yourself. Those disciplines are there so you keep that look. You, 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 know, you have that focus. What are some disciplines in your life as a leader that you go, these are I do a lot of things, but these are my non-negotiables because I know if these are in place, I'll crush. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, well, 
the biggest thing I think right now that I'm having to really guard is that because of my personality that treats productivity as heroin is a day without my phone on, you know, I'm having uh, 24 hours with my phone turned off and that is so replenishing and so helpful. Uh, um, and I'm fighting for my team to view it the same way, you know, Friday night, turn the phone off till Saturday night. And that day being a day of waffles and walks and foosball and just my kids and, and my wife and I, and the date nights, cause you're not going to be, you know, if your relationships at home aren't strong, it's, it's not going to matter what you accomplish out in the world, you know? So time with Jenny, uh, time with Jesus alone, journaling, um, the health factor. If I'm, if I'm physically feeling unfit, uh, diet, like I feel like those things ripple into everything. Like when I'm feeling like I'm, I'm making bad eating decisions and not working out. I just feel like it for me is a keystone habit. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It, it feels like those little small wins. Again, that's that inner scoreboard. So I, I, I just think one of the most underrated things in all of leadership is self-confidence. Wow. Self-confidence. Like I always, one of the key thoughts I'm always thinking, especially when it comes to our area, because we deal with so many people is that I can't let anything break my stride. Mm. So consuming that is going to break my stride. Be, be, letting that offense take weight in my heart is going to break my stride. I just can't afford to break my stride. I've got too much going on for me to slow down for that thing, right? It's not worth it. That's right. And I, and I think remembering like oftentimes in leadership, doing the exact opposite of what you feel is what's going to get you what you actually want. Right. You know, so for us right now, like money wise, you know, as, as a nonprofit, as a church, you know, it's, it's real. People give in the offering. They can't give in the offering online giving, you know, so like many organizations, we've seen uh, our, our, our contributions going down as the economy is getting more crazy. Uh, so doing the exact opposite. I talked to our CFO and we said, hey, we're going to open up some grants. We're going to new grants we don't normally have. We're giving Find us some churches that are struggling. We're going to give some money to them. Find us some nonprofits that are succeeding in this time. We're going to give some money to them. And I think uh, I've learned that when you want to go like this, go like this. Yeah. When you want to isolate, call somebody. When yeah. you want to call somebody, isolate. And oftentimes, whatever you're feeling in your flesh and in your frantic mind and in your fear-based mind that you want to do is oftentimes just do the opposite and, and watch God work. Wow, I love that. That is such a great thought. Um, when, when it comes to leadership, can you uh, think back to failure? I was just saying this to Julia last night. It's it one of my favorite lines on leadership is that people, they admire your strengths, but they relate with your weaknesses. Can you think back on a leadership failure? You go, man, this is one of the biggest mistakes I've made as a leader. And I learned an invaluable lesson here that changed my leadership. I, I blew it, but I'm not going to make that mistake again. Yeah, man. Um, the biggest mistake I feel like I made early on was adding too much value. Having the answer to every situation, uh, always always being because people around you will allow that because of the position you're in. If you're the key leader, if you run a business, if you're, you're this, if you're going to be the loudest voice in every conversation, your voice carries extra weight because of your position. So if you're not careful, 
it will become a Yoda situation where people fly to the Dagobah system to hear your value. I'm the student master. I'm flying to the student master's office. What do I do? What do I do? And every time if you get, well, let me tell you what to do. And instead, well, again, it's the opposite of what you feel. When I mean, you feel like you want to say it, instead ask a question. And instead of saying, oh, people, I have to do everything around here. Or, you know, no one cares about this organization more than me. When you, want to, when you feel like saying that, pivot and say, instead, wow. they're smart. They're going to figure it out. Now, instead, let's have the meeting. Let's set high vision. And let's, even if I know what, in my mind, is the right thing to do, instead, give other people the space and the opportunity to come up with. I, I told our career director yesterday in a class, I said, hey, look, when I give a suggestion, I want you to know it's not law. I want, it's just one voice out of the others. Weigh it, yeah. take it, consider it, but then do whatever, do what you want to do. You know, and so a lot of times I'm trying to, when people say, do this or this, I say, what do you, what do you think? What, what's your call? Even if I have a strong opinion, because the, the sin of adding too much value creates people who are, who are, who are going to shift into a gear of complacency and the best and the brightest will leave. They'll go somewhere where they can add value. So believing that a, well, Liz Wiseman in her book, Multipliers, put it this way. She said, it's far better to be a genius maker than a genius. Wow. I love that. But that, that does take great discipline. It does take great restraint. And that is not easy. It is, it is much more, you know, ego fulfilling, ego satisfying to go, you know, be the man, be the, the, the lone ranger. One of my favorite lines about creativity, I want to talk about creativity, is that um, someone who I think is very creative was telling me recently that their team only regurgitates and spits back their ideas. They're just, so this genius puts out their creativity and the team basically just responds back saying the same thing, but there's no creative thought. And I thought when they told me that, I, I thought, wow, that's one of my biggest challenges. And I don't think it's people's fault. I don't think it's my team's fault. I think it's my fault. I think I can dominate. I can come in and not give space and give room. The other day on a Zoom, I, we are on a creative Zoom. And I just had to tell myself, just be quiet. Just listen. Yeah. Let everybody talk. Yeah. And that's very hard to do. Yes. Yes, because, you know, you, you're, you are where you are because you have a great gifting and you do, you do have great ideas. And, the, and the, the, the problem is going to be that when you are successful and gifted, you can build a culture and of yes people around you. And I think the, the, the reality is that um, the combined synergy that can be released if you create a culture of ideation and, and, and empowerment and release, it will, it will eventually fizz up and, and become strong. Uh, there has to be a, a comfortable level of, um, it's not going to necessarily always be exactly like I would do it. And it's not always going to be necessarily as good, at least in the short term. In the long term, it can be far better. But there has to be the space. The only way you learned to be great was you made, you made some mistakes. And I think the problem is when we're, when we're good at something, we, we don't, we're not comfortable with those mistakes. But that's the only space for people to develop the chops to lead. Right. So you have to set a high vision and then give them the space. And so I, then the review can happen on the back end as opposed to the front end. You know, right. I think that's the thing. You have to let some things fly that maybe wouldn't be as good as if you did them yourself. That's it. Yeah. And the reason why I ask you is because I think that you are so creative. The, the thing about, you know, fresh life is fresh life is a creative powerhouse 
from music to merch to branding to sermon ideas to your offices. Like you have that creative gift. How do you play well with other creatives? Like how do you, what are some things that you go, I, I'm always trying to, because you got creative people around you. Yeah. You got really good creatives. So what is a creative value that you have that you go, this has allowed me to let creatives in my church help. One of my favorite books is, is Thinking for a Change, John Maxwell. And he says, great ideas by themselves, they only stay so small. But ideas are really good when other people speak into them. How have you allowed that greatness to be a part of your organization? Well, one thing that's been great was a value I stole from Louis Giglio and his team at Passion City. We were, we were there and I asked about something and they said, oh, well, one of our values is uh, we design everything. So we never take anything stock. Everything's designed. Systems are designed. We never would just buy something from Ikea. Even if we do buy it from Ikea, it's designed how it's utilized. So yeah. any space we walk into, and we've really tried to, to foster that within our team that we don't, you know, we don't just look at even a backstage space or a green room space or, uh, in, and I think Zoe does this tremendously, is there's a culture of design, a culture of, uh, of we call it red teaming, which is just problem solving early on, you know, Love it. and having backups, having redundancies, and, and believing that in the multitude of, of, of voices, a better idea is going to rise to the top. And letting lots of people have a, a, a pitch, having lot, have a throw the hat in the ring on ideas and inspiration. And, uh, and I think if there's a strength, it's finding uh, inspiration from a, a wide stream of sources that has nothing to do with necessarily what we do. Yeah. I think we can be limited when, okay, I'm in church, therefore I'm only going to look at church. It's like, no, I mean, you should be looking at what Nike's doing. We should be looking at what, you know, what the, the greatest restaurants are doing, how this, because really we're in the story business. And I think every restaurant, every hotel, at the end of the day, we're in the story business. How are we telling the story of the gospel, but how are we telling the story of hospitality or food services? So hopefully learning that in everything there needs to be a story that's told. I love that. We, and there's no one I follow more than Nike. Nike is the most creative. You go to their stores, you go to their website. They're the most creative. Yep. Talk about a UX, a user experience. Nobody beats Nike. Yeah. That's Nike's communication, Nike's experience, unbelievable. Absolutely. Shout out Beaverton, Oregon. Shout out. Um, you, you brought up a word that I think I want to just explore for a little bit because, again, you're unmatched here. Communi let's talk about your geniuses, in my opinion. Communication, creativity, hospitality. We are also in the hospitality business. Yeah, we host, you host thousands of people across how many states at, you know, how many locations every weekend. But when well, zero you, at the moment, mostly. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you're still hosting them on Facebook Live. That's right. That's right. That's right. But, but hospitality, where did you get your love for it? Where did you get your, your um, inspiration for it? How, you know, who do you study? Uh, that you go, man, their, their values. Cause I think hospitality is a value. Yes. It's before it's a practice before there's practice, but it's always a value. Wh who have you stolen from or been inspired from in hospitality? Well, that a lot of that comes from Jenny. I mean, I think, you know, you, you would echo that we, we, who we'd be without our wives is, is a scary thought, but um, my wife, her, her biggest passion is gift giving. She loves wrapping paper. She loves those deep, details she loves she loves that stuff so within our church we want everybody getting a gift we want every, everyone's experience like in the bathrooms everywhere i mean i think uh 
leadership is poetry and it's plumbing, right? So the poetry is the story we're telling, but the plumbing is the systems we've created to allow that story to be told well. Beautiful. And I think uh, one of the professors at, at Stanford a while back, James March, he's, he's in his 80s now, he said, no organization works if the toilets don't work. So there's the plumbing aspect. How do we systematize the story being told? So uh, we, we, we've put a lot of energy into that because of my wife's love in that regard. Uh, we've also, I think the Hillsong culture, uh, a gift-giving, life-giving culture, um, I, I, and, and really for, like, whether we're hosting someone walking into the doors of our church for the first time or someone coming in to speak who's traveling, who's gone through the hell of you know, getting across the world or the country and wanting that to be a thing. Like we've always said, if someone comes to preach for us, we want them to not only minister their gift in a, in a beautiful way, but also to walk away having been imparted something in their time here. So, you know, if you and Julie are here to preach, you're, what you offer to the body, the body of Christ, we can have ownership of it if you leave Montana better than when you came. Not just drained because the power came out of you, like Jesus when the woman touched his, his hem, but also in a very real sense that we poured something back into you. Beautiful. One of my favorite thoughts, uh, you guys do that so well, by the way, every time I go to Montana, to Fresh Life, I leave better than I came, 100%. Oh, praise God. No question. Um, one of my favorite thoughts on hospitality is that the word hospital is literally in the word. So if we can see hospitality as people stepping into our hospitals. And that when, when, you, leave, when you leave the hospital, you leave better than you, you enter. Yeah, right. So, so what happens in the hospital? We're going to treat you. And, and, and most people, when they walk into our churches or walk into our service, walk into your restaurant, they're hungry, they're hurting, they're going through something. So hopefully their hospitality experience, when they leave, they leave with a smile. They leave with like a balloon in their heart going, I had a great time there. That was great service. And I'm leaving better than I came. Yeah, that's great. Um, the, the best book I think I've read in recent years on hospitality is Danny Meyer, who wrote, uh, who started Shake Shack. He wrote a book all about enlightened hospitality. And honestly, when you go to his restaurants, when you engage with his brands, you, you really do sense. I mean, at one point he ran 11 Madison, which was the, I think the number one rated restaurant in the world in New York. And, you know, just from the top to the bottom, the story of care, you know, he was things like everybody who's going to come in here is going to either be having the best day of their life. Come, you know, they're going to do an engagement, you know, so it's not just about a table. It's like we're stewarding stories. We're stewarding moments in people's lives. And I think in whatever we do, if that's our spirit, that hospital spirit, that whatever the hurts are, whatever the pain and the challenge of someone's life is, if they're interacting with us here in this moment, we're going to give them something that's special that they're going to you know, remember. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. It's beautiful. And I think it, it also from a, uh, a value standpoint, it's, it's really just honor. And, I, and when you honor people, you, get, you, you, you pull out the best of them. Mm -hmm. You just watch their face light up and you go, wow, I'm getting the best version of this person because they feel honored. You yeah. want to get the worst person, worst version of somebody, disrespect them, dishonor them. And you watch that. Excuse me. Is there a reason why you're taking up two parking spaces here? Yes, exactly. So the dishonoring <laughs> in that moment that I have repented <laughs> from, uh, <laughs> it leads to my next point, which is, uh, <laughs> We can do the same thing our kids though, right? I mean, yes. Wow. Great. 
you can speak to the fool or the king inside your child. Wow. And the other one, whichever one you speak to is going to stand up. That's it. You know, it's like, it's believing that we can help our spouse to become the version of them we wish they were, you know? So it, it, it does come back to honor and our value of what is in people. That's such a great thought and such a great challenge. Julia last night was reading a post by Amy Groeschel about homeschooling. She had this great thought about, uh, you know, to motivate your child, don't bribe them or threaten them. Basically wow. call out the best in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. carrots and it, carrots and sticks get you in the short term what you want, but long term doesn't develop their character or your relationship. Mm. You know, but if you lead with vision and passion and actual empathy, long term you end up you use David as an analogy earlier. David, people just flock to him. The people would come to him and join his mighty man. They'd fight leopards for him in a pit on a snowy day. They they did kill giants for him. He didn't have anything to offer him but vision and love and he cared about him. He knew their names. These are David's mighty men. He knew their name, 300 of them. Saul, if you don't do this, I'll do this. and I'll, I'll give you promotion. He led with carrots and sticks. And if we're not careful, we'll parent and lead with Dude. carrots and sticks, which you'll, it'll work temporarily. I'll give you a raise or, you know, we try and convince people. But if you lead with vision, passion, empathy, and humanity, beautiful. you'll have people who will go to the ends of the earth for you. Beautiful, beautiful. That is a great word. That is the best thing I heard you say today. And, and the reason why is because that hits home for me. Yeah, Trying right. to lead these boys, I want to I lead. The, I love that you use the word empathy and call out the king inside of them. So often being quarantined, you could, you could, you could speak to the, the fool yeah. that's inside of them. But we got we to discipline ourselves to speak to the king. Well, if you take that time, you know, I, I, me, for me getting one-on-one -on -one and taking a walk, with no phone has been the key to that, you know, or drive living. I'll go to drive is just actual talking. And those are the best moments of breakthrough when it's yeah. all punishment or, or reward. You don't get this or I'll take this away. That, that, that gets you, you get your evening, but you may lose the long-term war. I love that. Well, I'm so thankful for who you are, your life, your leadership. You are someone that inspires me and so many people. So thank you for living with not just discipline, but that fire, that passion. You can see it in your eyes. You can see it in your work. So we honor you today. Thank you so much for taking time to be on here. Thanks for the friendship. Thanks for the special connections. Thanks for the, that, that meth you sold me earlier. I, man, what? I thought, I thought you said meth, and I was like, did he say meth? <laughs> I was watching Tiger King last night. And, uh, I was like, this Wi-Fi is bad, man. Man, I, the hardest part about Tiger King was for me was watching that guy talk with the two teeth. That was really challenging. Last night was the first time I saw it. I finally saw it. Uh, Julia was in like episode five or six, and I was like, wait, this is what everybody's watching? I had no idea. I only so, saw the photos. I'm on episode six, and Jenny last night said to me, because we were watching it before bed, she turns to me and goes, I don't want to watch that with you anymore. <laughs> Julia's in heaven. Yeah, I'm so I gotta go. I gotta watch it. All right, let me know when you when you get there. I will for sure. I love you, man. Love you. Talk to you soon.